0: your drowned by my perfect fire. my perfect la,
1: la, lee, lee, la, la. <laughs> you warmed up yep then welcome to the word in the hill with the lanky guys
0: i'm father peter Muzzin. and i'm scott powell and, and we're so happy that
1: you joined us today so stinking happy welcome to advent welcome to it well, you're the, probably not in advent when you're listening
0: no you might be preparing uh, you, this is the thing is what do you do when you're preparing for advent cuz isn't you advent preparation turkey. oh oh
1: Happy Thanksgiving to you.
0: Happy Thanksgiving to you, Father Peter. Especially for our international listen, listeners who Thanksgiving don't Thanksgiving is a big day where we celebrate turkeys. <laughs> yes. And and in honor of that and and the advent we were e- we were reading <laughs> books that, um there it's called a book called Chinglish and it's a uh, Chinese signs um and that, bad English uh, and bad English translations. translations. It's really it's I it, am addicted to it. Oh my gosh, they are really like hey, here's, here's a good one. No. If we don't protect the forest, we will find only dingy around us without other color. <laughs> or here's oh, another one. Okay. Have a dog. <laughs> Have Just, <the> dog. <laughs> appreciate okay. lovely view of the great wall. Do not forget the fire is heartless. <laughs>
1: yeah, see? Let us do the uh, birds, friend. Let us do the podcast, friend. <laughs> <clears throat> Scott is not feeling very well not, today. not the best, not the best, not the best.
0: Um, and he didn't listen to me and take the oregano this time because You didn't give it to me this time Oh, I could go get it Not during the podcast No, because th- then you won't that be able to talk would be silly talk. Yeah, and um, I, uh, I have to say that I, I'm looking forward to this uh, Advent this say season
1: <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so today the readings It was fun Okay, no, it is the first Sunday of Advent it really was fun. It was very fun. That was the tagline in iTunes. It was just bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. Dude, you're fun, is I, you're what I have fun, to say. Like, I really,
0: you guys, I wish you could have um, the time when you get together with Scott to do podcasting because <laughs> we really we end up laughing like a lot. And like before the podcast begins, usually we're laughing we're, about something,
1: or we're unbelievably somber about something. Oh, Somehow yeah. Somehow the podcast makes us silly no matter what mood we're coming from. Yeah. So 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 we
0: actually have a dynamic of our personalities. In we're not we're not just like radio personalities. No, we're not. Cause sometimes. The time now is at twelve fifty, the traffic looks good. And our first reading is from yeah, Isaiah. First reading. <laughs> I think that All right. <laughs> it's Isaiah sixty three, sixteen B to seventeen, nineteen B to sixty four, two to seven. That is complicated. Dude, that to is to say a, the least. Yeah, that is what we call like I don't know how do you how do you justify that?
1: Uh, I mean, the, the readings are trying to pull out a particular <laughs> a particular couple insights. That's cool. So they're pulling from different verses that sort of have the theme that that we're looking for. Dude, that's a good explanation. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, man. Um, uh, the other theme of the year is that the liturgy sure does like Isaiah. Oh yeah, and um, what happens
0: is that um, uh, we're entering into Year C. No, Year A. a. B. We,
1: B. Wait. Uh, B. We should know that if we're doing a podcast on the readings. Yes. Yes. Yeah, B, B, B. B I, uh, yeah, uh, every uh, single week I code the website and I put year A. Yes, uh, we're going to year B. You threw me off in I'm, a really weird way. Uh, hey,
0: you know why? We're be- going into year B. is because I um, uh, somebody else sets the books for me, so I'm just like, what year are we in? But I do know that we're upcoming to the... um. Uh, we're going to the year of Mark, so we're going to mm. have a, a, a very substantial.
1: My favorite. Yeah. Oh. As I, you know,
0: I think I think it's it's rightly so. It's the and most, that's where we get this week. It's like super condensed.
1: Yeah, yeah, but it's but it's dense. It's like eating a, a whole cheesecake in one sitting.
0: Yeah, or, you want to take it slow. Or bee pollen if
1: you're in Lithuania. <laughs> so what is our song? So for all of our Lithuanian listeners. <laughs> That's what that's your take home for this week. Alright, our responsorial psalm comes from Psalm eighty, verses two through three, fifteen through sixteen, and eighteen through nineteen. And our responsorial itself is verse four.
0: Dude, I knew some dudes of mine, <laughs> dude friends of mine, and what they had a four square tournament at the four corners.
1: No. Yeah. why on earth did you share that? That's awesome, but Cause was that applicable? The verse was four. Oh, four. That is a stretch. <laughs> four-square tournament at the four corners <laughs> would be really cool. No,
0: I mean, like, it was epic. They tried to do a documentary, but it wasn't a very good documentary. <laughs> <laughs> what I, if we steal it? I think we need to. Well, okay. Okay. Done. Our second reading is from 1 Corinthians 1, 3 through 9.
1: Very good. Our, uh, we have another psalm, the Alleluia. comes from Psalm 85, verse 8, which we're not really going to talk about that, but it's there. Dude, have, we've never announced the Alleluia before. You always do. No,
0: I don't. You do all the time. No, I you don't. You do. I don't remember doing it. You do. You do.
1: I'm sorry. It's okay. I'm I was just, not, I am trying, trying to be like my pastor. The yeah. the sheep should smell like their shepherd. <laughs> I'm trying to smell like you, baby.
0: Hey, well hey, that it you have to drink a lot of ginger ale to
1: do that. Uh oh, you're drink you are <laughs> drinking ginger <laughs> ale right now. Okay, and then, okay. Then, then oh I got it. I got it. I'm cool. Okay, our well, gospel you did the is Oh, you're right! You're right. I did. No, I but you can do that. No, I forgot. Too. No, no. No, please go no. ahead.
0: Okay, Mark
1: thirteen thirty three to thirty seven. Because if you're still with us this long, <laughs> this is this is already off to a weird podcast. It's, it is. When you share with your friends the link, you guys, maybe this isn't the episode to share with them. <laughs> you guys have got to listen to this great podcast <laughs> from two weeks ago. <laughs> I love it. Okay. okay, let's
0: let's keep this baby rolling. So
1: Isaiah. No, <clears throat> oh, excuse me. I'm a mess today, Father Peter. You are. I'm a disaster, but it's okay. Ow. Are you all right, man? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got a you get an electric shock there on the carpeting? Yeah, I did. Was it, did you? I heard it. I from did. here. Yeah, it went through my head. Felt it in my ears. Yeah. They... <laughs> <laughs> um. Isaiah sixty three. Okay, so we've talked exhaustively about <laughs> Isaiah. Well, not exhaustively, but we've talked yeah. about. It. So here's part of the reason why Isaiah shows up so much. Number one, it's just a really big book. Uh, number two. It spans so much of salvation history and the story. I mean, yeah. well, I mean, from the time of the of the Assyrian invasion in the northern kingdom all the way through the Babylonian exile into the restoration of the kingdom and everything that's going to happen in Jesus Christ. I mean, it spans an unbelievable amount of time. And so the, the sheer, you know, breadth and depth of this book is, is amazing. And because it's so... Um, there's so much to that, and there's so much in that second half of the book looking forward to the coming restoration after the punishment ends. um, It's so heavy on its Christological references, references to Christ in the first century, that it's often been called the fifth gospel because yeah. there's so stinking much there. And, you know, we could talk about the history. We have talked about the history of this book. And again, what it's doing, there's a first half, which is all about punishment. There's a second half, which is all about reconciliation and restoration. Yeah. But really, I think just reading through these verses that were given will elucidate everything else. So check this out. Uh, it begins by saying, You, Lord, are our Father our Redeemer, you are named forever. Why do you let us wander, O Lord, from your ways and harden your, our hearts so that we may fear you not? Um, so remember, the context of this is being written during the time of the exile. They've they've fallen, they've broken the covenant, they've sinned grievously. They're reaping the, the harvest of exile and punishment because of this. Yeah. And in the midst of that, they're asking this question, why do you let us wander, O Lord, from your ways? But I think the question is really profound. He doesn't. It doesn't say, "Why have you abandoned us, Lord?" Or "Why, you know, why aren't things good anymore? Why is our kingship gone? Why did we lose our land? Why did you let me sin?" Well, and, and that's it, such a deep human question. It,
0: it is, and and I think that grammatically we need to remember. It says, "Why did you let us?" Harden our hearts so that we would fear you not. Yeah, it's it's actually it's it's actually an explanation for what is the hardness of heart. It's the natural consequence of sin. Yes, and and so it, it's like, why did you let me do
1: that? Yeah, which is just I mean, I ask myself that all the or I ask God that yeah. all the time, and I say, why why yeah. why do you let me do these boneheaded things, right? Yeah, and it is actually the proper question to say that God makes us do these things, or God pushes us into these circumstances is theologically incorrect, yes. but to say, God, why did you allow that is actually the appropriate question because God does allow all of those things. He allows all of it. So why do you, why do you allow that? It's the right question to ask. And there's something about, I don't know. I was very moved this morning as I was reading through this because it's usually sometimes the prophets are asking the wrong question. The Psalms are asking the wrong questions. Yeah. They're they're still true and they're right and they're good and they're holy, but the questions are not, God, why do you, well, maybe it's not the scriptures that are our problems. It's, it's you know, the secular world and even Christians who read the Bible and say, well, why does God do all these things? Why does God command all this death and destruction and punishment and wrath? And why is God so bloodthirsty throughout the Old Testament? No, that's not the proper question. The proper question is the question of the scriptures, God, why do you allow these things? And that's the question the human heart should always be asking, I mean we can look at our own world and say, God, why do you allow all this stuff? why do you allow school shootings and why do you allow um i, I uh, side note suffering side note to this yeah, just uh we're recording this um the week before Thanksgiving in full disclosure, but uh a couple days ago, two days ago, there was a shooting at Florida State University, and i don't i think I don't know about it I don't yeah. know if there were any deaths or not i would have to double check but uh I, I came a counselor of ours um Uh, Was was there she wasn't in the it was in the the library on campus. She wasn't in the library, but she's at Florida State Yeah, but she put this thing on Facebook. It was I think it was a friend of hers. It was some guy He was the first one actually to get shot, but he had no idea It was until he got home like 48 hours later and he took out the bags or the books from his backpack that he uh, had just checked out at the library, he didn't realize he was shot, but he saw the bullet. He put pictures, the bullet holes, going clear through at least two or three books, like clear through them. Oh my gosh! And he never actually felt it, so he should have died. Um, and he, he was obviously a believer because he said, you know, this was an amazing miracle. I should be dead right now, but and and the books actually shouldn't have stopped the bullet, just just on a logical level, but they did. And it was this amazing moment of like, okay, why why do you allow this? God, well here's this little insight into God not just allowing something, but actually bringing bringing the miraculous out of it and all these things. But, yeah, 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 this is
0: what we have to juggle with every day, right? Absolutely, and it's a good sign for all of you students to recognize that going to the library can save your life. Indeed. Studying can save your life. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Well, for a second I thought you said that he was going to be shot and he didn't, like, feel it, and he was like, oh, no. Well,
1: his backpack was shot. Yeah, I kind of misspoke.
0: Yeah, that's – So, man – yeah, I mean, how do we how do we actually deal with? Because uh, God does allow it; He doesn't He, he does. create
1: evil, but He allows it.
0: And that's right? where yeah, and that's where we've talked about this before. And I really like your like th- this this uh, this this th- deeper provocation hmm. of was it not necessary? Oh, the road to Emmaus. Yeah. yeah, was it not necessary that these things had to actually happen and, for like, the sake of? of whatever it is yeah and that's like what i want to hear about my stuff too and that's but but at the same time i don't want to actually hear like it was necessary that your heart was allowed to be hardened i like i don't want i don't want my own personal sin to like totally like i mean i do want to see it actually i want to see it be redeemed well and that's what it
1: i mean that's that's the thing i mean that that's the that's the thing that we well it's the christian faith but sometimes i think uh some of our protestant friends miss this insight it's not that we have a god and sometimes catholics overemphasize it it's not that we have a God who, if we believe in God, he'll just wipe away all of our problems, wipe away our sin. It's totally done. It's totally forgotten. And we we'll never have to worry about that again. That's not what he does, right? Instead, he takes our sin. He takes our brokenness. He doesn't just wipe it off the books. He actually transforms it into something glorious. Because for God to just wipe it off the books, it, that's not enough. So I'm thinking about Ephesians 5. I was working with one of our students the other day about Ephesians 5, where it says, it's early on in Ephesians 5, And Paul actually says the, the sins that are done in darkness are shameful, you know, shameful sins, darkness, but it actually has this great line that says when the sins of the darkness are brought into the light, they become light. They don't just yes. get washed away or, you know, they become invisible all of a sudden or they're covered with snow or some baloney like that. They actually become radically transformed into light.
0: Which gets us to the end of of, of this reading where Whoa, it says, jump to the end. there is none who calls <clears throat> upon your name, who rouses himself to cling to you. See, this is the thing is that is that what it takes is for us to actually call upon the Lord. That's how yeah. the that's the mechanism. By which these things are transformed into light and the hardness of our heart is corroded away is that we actually have to say, I'm going to call
1: upon you. I'm going to say,
0: Jesus, help
1: me. But why have they not? Why is there none to call upon his name? I don't know. It it tells you. It answers its own question. There is none who calls upon your name. Why not? Who rouses himself to cling to you. For you have hidden
0: your face from, and you have delivered us up to our guilt.
1: Yeah, because we can't see you. Why don't we ask for your help? Because we can't see you and we're these kind of people, human beings just in general, are. If it's not right in front of our face, we lose consciousness of it, isn't it? And we have this faith, this this crazy faith that we adhere to, that we're asked to believe in things that we cannot actually see. We're asked to go to mass for Pete's sake and believe that this little piece of bread, or at least what looks for all the world like a piece of bread, is actually something that we cannot see. And how much easier is it to just not turn to that, not cling to that, because I don't see it. I don't feel it. I don't ta- When I taste the Eucharist, I mean, confession here, my I don't see, you know, butterflies and daisies and rainbows and things springing into bloom. I mean, I, I just taste what tastes like bread. And I have to remind myself, no, you just ate the God of the universe. But I don't, 99% of the time, there's no consciousness. I'm worried about, you know, if Samuel's going to run and tackle the Eucharistic minister over there, <laughs> you know, or what's going on, or the Lily her Arms right? all these things. I mean, I'm not conscious of it. I mean, and it would be a different kind of faith if there was this lightning bolt that gave us the Eucharist every Sunday and you were glowing, you know, and while you're handing it out. I mean, but that's not what we get. We get the ordinary stuff, matter of everyday life, and we're being asked to believe there's something way beyond what you can see here. Yeah, and... But the human temptation is the temptation of Isaiah, that we have not called upon you, we have not clung to you because we can't see you.
0: And that's why in the midst of Advent, we're actually <clears throat> called to prepare and to actually give a space in our hearts to actually yes. anticipate. Yeah. So it's saying, okay, you know what? Even if I don't see you, if I, even if I don't believe that good things are going to happen, I'm going to make a space just in case good things could happen.
1: I'm serious. I know I, I had a jingle for the old Crossroads Mall going in my head when you Oh do it, do it. Where good things happen <laughs> every time you spend your shopping day with friends. Crossroads mall. You don't remember that?
0: Uh, you grew I, up in Denver? I grew up in Denver, but um they did not do much radio advertising for it was T V that was TV, oh, television. I, I didn't watch T V. Oh, I did watch TV. I did I'd watch TV. Whatever, dude. All right, right, let's I do move not watch on. so much
1: TV. Well, so there's an antidote. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you. It's
0: called Crossroads Mall. <laughs> do you remember Crossroads Mall? I do remember Crossroads Mall. Uh, that was Mall. my whole youth was in Crossroads Mall, man. Dude, Crossroads Mall was like, <laughs> dude, but like I was
1: scared because the locals up there, man. It up was where? Bo- up bo- there? Yeah. You mean here? Yeah. This is you now. Dude, I was D-Town. It. Pff, not anymore. You wished you could come up and hang out at Crossroads
0: Mall. No, I was scared to. <laughs> I hung out down in Cinder Alley, dude. At Cinderella City, man.
1: Cinderella City.
0: <laughs> Cinder Alley, dude. With that was that was pretty sweet. With Zizos, man. Yeah, I never that, went there. That's for those old school Denverites. Yeah. Here's a shout out to you.
1: Well, if there are any old school Boulderites, cross the mall, baby. Anyway, this has nothing to do with any. Anyway, the antidote to this whole problem <laughs> that we're talking about is actually embedded in Isaiah. So we're bouncing a little bit in Isaiah. We've gone to the end. Now I want to go back to the middle. So right after the the author Isaiah said, you know, why do you let us wander, I'll harden our hearts, and fear you not? All these things, then you get the uh, the 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 request, and he says, return for the sake of your servants. Because remember, at this point, historically speaking, everybody saw, everybody knew about the fact that the presence of God had left the temple. And Not only that, the temple is now destroyed. So the sign of God's presence among them is literally gone. This isn't some like spiritual, metaphorical, abstract, God's not with us. No, literally there was the presence of God in a physical, literal way. We saw him leave and take off, and now we want him back. I mean, it's like every tabernacle in the world is emptied all of a sudden, and there's no priest to confer the sacrament. It, he's gone. He's not there. So they say, just come back to us. Return for the sake of your tur- your, your servants, the tribes of your heritage. Oh, and I love this line. Check this out. Okay. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down with the mountains quaking before you while you wrought awesome deeds we could not hope for, such as they had not heard of from old. What does that remind you of? I mean, uh, it reminds me of the ascension, actually,
0: and the resurrection. It reminds me of the Paschal Mystery. I mean, but it also reminds me of... um, I mean, there's so much that's happened.
1: It reminds me of the entire gospel story. Yeah. He's just, Isaiah has just literally condensed the entirety of the gospel. So you have beginning at the baptism of Jesus, where what? The skies, the heavens are rent rent open. Yeah. The spirit descends. Jesus appears. God himself appears. Then you have the passion. You know, you have the crucifixion. The earth actually quakes. The mountains quake. The Um, temple curtain is rent. The temple curtain is rent. Um, you Which know, is a bringing... symbol of heaven. Uh, Absolutely, it. it's the stars. It's the it's the uh, oh, cosmological minicosm cosmos. <laughs> Hello, we are the mini <laughs> <laughs> It wouldn't have been nearly as funny if it wasn't for the British accent. <laughs> Um, and then the, the mighty deeds. I mean, what, is, what did people say to Jesus left and right? We've never seen deeds like this done. And no one ever heard of the concept of a resurrection from the dead. That was to- at least in a literal sense. So, I mean, what, what Isaiah has just done is said, okay, this is where we are. Things are pretty rough. We can't see you. What we need is a God who comes among us with the heavens rent open, doing mighty deeds, and then culminating in the earth itself crumble, uh, quaking and trembling. It is the gospel that he has just told there. Which I think is just fascinating. So here's where we are. Here's what we long for. Here's what we long to happen. But he ends, of course, like you said. But right now, there's none who call on your name. There's none who cling to you because we can't see you. We don't see that. And that's also reiterating the gospel because even when he shows up, he does some mighty deeds. He does do a lot of cool stuff. But he also scolds those who are just looking for signs and looking for miracles and looking for, you know, a little card trick card tricks and stuff. I mean, he says, it's not about the signs. So once again, we get to the gospels. You have these people who are not calling upon his name because they're hidden from it. He is hidden from them. They see a guy, but he just looks like a guy Yeah. Who is doing things that aren't even as good as some of the other false messiahs that are out there, yeah. which is the same situation that we then have even today in mass. We sit there and we're like, well, I see that bread up there, but I don't see him. And I see this priest, but I can't see Jesus himself. And that's a hard thing because our hearts are hardened. So what does it take to see Jesus with the eyes of faith? It's to have softened hearts.
0: Mm.
1: So that's the setup, I think, for the gospel, that line. What does it take to see Jesus, to see him, literally see? It's to have your hearts unhardened. So hang on to that. Mm. Put it in your little Mm. pipe and smoke it. You got it. All right, so Psalm 80. Psalm 80. Psalm 80. Talk to me about Psalm 80. Oh psalm. well, Psalm 80. I mean <clears throat> on on just sort of a face value level, verse 4 right, Lord make us turn to you, let us see your face and we shall be healed. It's I mean literally every theme that was in that passage from Isaiah is pulled out in the psalm. Make us turn, you let us turn away from you. You have the I mean the implication in the beginning of Isaiah is that why do you allow us to harden our hearts? Why do you allow us to turn away from you? If you can, if you have it in your power to allow us to do that, you have it in your power to make us turn back to you. We don't, I mean, there's this beautiful, God always gives us free will, and that's a very beautiful thing. But we can use our free will to say to God, just turn me in a direction. Yeah. Push me.
0: Yeah, you can. I mean, you can do it. You actually can do this with a lot of people. You can yeah. say, I don't have the strength. Please kick my butt. Yes, absolutely. And then you get your butt kicked. Yeah. And like the Lord responds, like but yeah, but yeah. this is the thing is that we're so free, we actually have to do this on a decision level.
1: Exactly, because we do have free will. Yeah, and and like you're not a magic like, trick. Lord,
0: make me turn
1: to you, and He's like, well, okay. But we have to make that decision with our will. Yes, that says, no, I really, really want you to. I choose. I'm weak. To, I choose to strip myself of my will in a certain sense and yes. have yours done. Yes, and I love that. Then, as it goes on, it says, "O Shepherd of Israel, hearken." So it takes us back to our readings from last week about Christ, the Good Shepherd and the King of the Universe, bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. all that. So all these themes are brought out in the Psalm. So I mean, this is one of those places where, like, nice work, Church. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this, yeah. This it's, nailed every theme from the first reading.
0: Absolutely. Which is cool, and we we don't even there's not even a whole lot of explanation. <clears throat> you just need to read it. And... You just read it. It's there.
1: It's all there. I mean, it's the answer to the the.
0: Yeah, then we will Strife it, it, it finishes, it says, Then we will no more withdraw from you, give us new life, and we will call upon
1: your name. It removes some of the more difficult passages from the psalm. My favorite line from the psalm is Will you feed us the bread of tears and give us only tears as our measure to drink?
0: <laughs> Here is your glass of tears to Dude, drink. That reminds me of like um, of uh, of the country song. I got tears in my ears from lying on my back, crying over you. Bum, 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 bum. Oh, he! I think he was drinking beer with <laughs> tears in his ears while tears he lying. Beers with flying. my tears in my ears. Yeah. yeah,
1: that makes sense that he would. I mean. Watching the deers. <laughs> grind, with, grinding his gears. Grinding
0: his gears and buying diamonds from De Beers. <laughs>
1: and being held up by all of his fears. <laughs>
0: Dude. Okay, so let's get on to the second reading.
1: Second reading, first Corinthians. Dude, you're like
0: a rhyme you're a rhyme master. Why don't you
1: freestyle rap more? How do you know I don't? Got beers in my ears with my tears and the dears and the gears and the fears and the beers and the, the ears and then I got that's all I got. That's all, yeah, but, <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Excuse me. <laughs> Pardon me. <laughs> so this is the beginning of First Corinthians. So last week we had First Corinthians. We had the end of First Corinthians. So and now Paul's, we've got the beginning of First. Now we Corinthians. have the beginning.
0: Dude, I don't know, man. That's all reverse. Dude, throw the whip in reverse, baby.
1: <laughs> <laughs> throw the gears in reverse.
0: <laughs> um. It. The whip is a uh, is is actually a, a grammatical. Yeah, I'm gonna stop talking.
1: Okay, um, well, let's. Uh, okay, so I'm struggling a teeny weensy bit. Well, no, I'm not. No, no, I think I see it. I'm struggling a little bit to fully connect connect the dots with the second reading here. So this is the beginning of Corinthians, First Corinthians, uh, brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I, I mean, I wish I we had longer. There's there's actually so much. Theology packed in. Oh this.
0: yeah, this is uber even, dense. Even the
1: greeting. You know the thing about the greeting. Kairi shalom. Oh uh, yeah, basically. So I mean, if you're if you're a Hebrew, the way that you greet one another is to say shalom, peace, right? Even still today. If you're a Greek, the rest of the world, the way that you greet one another would be to say um, uh, greetings, which is the word kairi. Uh, kairi. Kairi. Is essentially saying, oh, greetings to you. So Paul takes takes the Hebrew way of greeting someone and the Greek way of greeting someone and baptizes it and turns greetings into grace, which is almost identical in the Greek, gratis. And then he merges the two and melds them them together, trying to do what he said earlier. He's being all things to all people. So grace and peace to you, which which, theologically, it's kind of revolutionary that he's able to—and we're so used to it because we've heard his letters so many times, even read in Mass— We've probably heard that before, but it was actually a revolutionary way to address this brand new audience that has Jewish roots, but is this Greek um, sort of political reality. Totally. So grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. He's also doing this thing where, I I mean, there's so much more to this. So in Paul's letters, one of the, of the, the things we don't think about with Paul, if you were living in the first century and you had to be, you know, the first people to have to figure this stuff out for the entirety of... Israelite history, Hebrew history, the thing that marks the Jewish people out from the rest of the world is they believe in one God. There was no religion on earth that believed in one God. Save Israel. No. At least in the ancient areas that we're we're familiar with. Oh, man. They were the only monotheistic religion. And I mean, coming out of that was was Islam, but that's sort of a separate um, reality. But... Because it came out of Judaism. Yeah, one yeah. Point. But but they're the only ones who had one God. I mean, it's completely unique to Judaism. It's what Weird. set them apart. Everything else was polytheistic. So take the one most important mark, distinguishing characteristic of this faith, and now try—and and they only have a certain amount of ways of talking about God, right? Mm-hmm. Theos was the Greek word for, for God, just was where we get theology. It's It's a generic way of referring to God, theos. Um, they have God's proper name, which is Yahweh or Elohim, right? Uh, well, Elohim meant Lord, so you could also call him Lord. So there's a couple different words that they have.
0: And then if you combine those two, you get Yehovah.
1: It, it, yeah. Actually, if, you can if be you put, his
0: witness. If you put the, <coughs> the vowels on top of, uh, you put the... the um, well, there's no vowels in Hebrew. That's the thing. I, I know. But then, but the traditionally, this is the thing. So you have to choose. It's the modern, the modern um, vowels for yep. Lord and put it onto Yahweh yep. and yep. then you get Jehovah. Yeah. Which is just, so just in well, case you're ever wondering what that comes from.
1: Not Lord, but for God's proper name, for YHWH. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, which but, doesn't mean Lord.
0: No, no, but the verbs, the, the the consonants, I mean, whatever, are from, Yeah, consonants are what y- Yahweh. So Yahweh
1: Yah- and Ye- Yehovah, they, they, it's, they can, yeah, can but render then, it the same.
0: But the, but the way that they got it is the combination for Lord and Yahweh. That's how you ended up getting Yehovah. Really? Yeah, yeah. For
1: Adonai, so it's it's, it's it's the um, it's, they combine it. Yeah, yeah, that's how you get Jehovah. You don't have to though. You could just put in different different vowels, and you could still just get Jehovah from the Yehovah. The, vowel, the vowels are from from. Oh, so they Lord. overlap. The two. Yeah, they really? took the too, and that's how you get Yehovah. They overlapped
0: them. I didn't yeah. know that.
1: Welcome to the next level. Oh, whatever, Father Peter. Hey, that dude. Oh, I know something you don't know,
0: <laughs> dude. It's rare. I no, must no, relish in oh, it. You know a lot of things I don't. Whatever. know. Whatever. But here's the thing.
1: So take this problem. So there's a certain amount of ways that you refer to the one God that you and you alone believe in. Now, all of a sudden, that one God has revealed himself in three distinct persons. Okay. What do you what? do? How do you deal with that? Because there's yeah, only certain so, words you have for God. Yeah. So what Paul does is is basically develop this little code language. Whenever he uses the term God, he's referring to God the Father. Whenever he uses the term Lord, or Adonai, he's referring to God the Son or God the Holy Spirit. So whenever you see him talking, he talks about peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he takes all the terms that are referred to the one true God, and he begins to kind of divvy them up, but in a very specific and systematic way. Does that make sense? Yeah, of it's course. just it's kind of a cool thing to think about. Wow, yes, yeah, somebody actually had to figure out how you talk about the one God in terms of three persons because that's weird. Anyway, I digress.
0: Yeah, you do digress. Come on now. All the time. That's all. That's all this <laughs> podcast really is. No, it's, it's not. just digression. That was
1: one digression. Oh, you're right. I give thanks to my God always on your account for the grace that has been bestowed on you in Jesus Christ. That in him, you were enriched in every way with all discourse and all knowledge and testimony to Christ was confirmed among you. Um, you're not lacking any spiritual gift. So one of the themes that we get in this first, this is what's called the Thanksgiving section, which is, which is, uh, common to all Greek letters. You'd have a Thanksgiving at the beginning. And what Paul is thankful for is their, their wisdom and their knowledge. Well, um, for the grace that's been bestowed on him really, but He pulls out these words of knowledge and wisdom. And discourse is in here, too, which is speech. Culturally speaking, we've talked a little bit about Corinth. What the Corinthians valued above all else was... Wisdom. The the Greek... Philosophy. Philosophy. So wisdom, knowledge, and speech. So um, uh, what is speech? Rhetoric, right? How you speak about something. This is what the Greeks did.
0: I mean, rhetorically speaking, yes. Uh, Oh, well
1: done. But they weren't very good at it. So they were always trying to, to be... Almost as good as their friends up in Athens, which was their next-door neighbor, who had the likes of Plato and Aristotle and Socrates. They didn't have any of those people, but they wanted to be like those people. They're like, oh, we're very wise, and we have very good knowledge and speech and rhetoric and all these things. And so what Paul's going to do, really throughout the entirety of the letter, is play with those terms. You guys value so much your wisdom, your speech, and your knowledge, but in fact... that wisdom and speech and knowledge is actually what's tearing you apart as a community. Because you're looking for Jesus Christ with the eyes of the world, with the wisdom of the world, with the knowledge of this world and this culture. And what he's doing, and this is where the connection, I think, is, what he's doing is tapping into these Old Testament readings that say, look, your eyes are actually never going to see this. Our eyes are kept from seeing you because... And, and God and Paul says, you know, you've kept these things from the wise and the learned, but to the little ones you have revealed these things. If you have the eyes of faith, you'll see it. The Corinthians are building themselves up on their worldly wisdom and knowledge because they want to look good in the eyes of the world, which, but they're missing the point.
0: Which is, is this is this is the point of the very beginning of the first letter of Corinthians is that he's buttering up the community and he's kind about of. to slam them. Actually. Oh, big time! Like so, so, so what's what's what what we what's happening is he's actually experiencing, Exposing the direct place where they're hard in their hearts, yeah. To just bring it to, into what we're talking about, so, so he's he's like, oh yeah, yeah. look at uh, the grace God has bestowed on you, and you're rich in every way, and yeah. with all discourse and all knowledge. Yeah. And then now Christ has testified yeah. to you, and you're not lacking any spiritual gift as you wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will keep you firm to the end. Absolutely. But then he says, but now let me show you why that though though God is working in profoundly and you're actually filled and puffed up yes there's some real problems and you must turn to the Lord in the problems right and so this is this is actually the good part which is kind of what we need i mean this is what we yes. always need is we need to be able to recognize that we are doing some God is really yes. active he's doing some good things we do have arrogance and we do think a lot of ourselves but we're we have to go into the depths and when we do boom that's when we see our his face again and then when when we when he makes us turn to him that's it so let's get into the gospel so is the gospel which is a short one this week dude dude, (coughs) it's it's vertically challenged
1: oh very very good nice work witty father
0: I, you know there's a lot of threes there's 133337 i just like lots of threes and sevens and ones and stuff that's like really good okay. um this comes now we have to, you have to recognize that with mark what's happening is that that he Gave basically this apocalyptic discourse in the 13th chapter, Correct. which is like one of the biggest biblical problems in all of scholarship about like the timing of when the temple is going to be destroyed and all of these things. And so this is coming literally like the whole discourse l- finishes in 1332. So this is 1333 at this point. And so he's saying all of these apocalyptic, intense, gigantic things are going to happen. Now here's the practical reality. Be watchful. Be alert. Yeah.
1: Yes, that's all true. I know it's not getting to the depth of it yet, but we gotta give it an introduction. No, no, you're right. Um, yes.
0: But you have a butt in there. You're sticking your butt in it. <laughs> oh, well done. Ah, yeah. I, <laughs> I
1: I really wit I know that verse thirty two ends the section on the what's called the eschatological discourse. Kind of well, there's debate about where mm. the eschatological discourse actually ends. Ever, all of scripture is eschatological. Yeah, but in this specific chapter thirteen, <laughs> I know. I stop know. it. No, no dude, see, you, you stuck you're your butt stu- in stu- it. You stuck. You stop saying that. That's okay. <laughs> oh man, I was. I can stop see it. Steve Baselli shaking his head at <laughs> me <even> right now. <laughs> uh, but here, so what he just said in the previous verse, so, okay, yeah, like you said, so he spent this entire chapter, <laughs> he left, um, he's just left the temple, so we we had his coming into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he went back and forth with the Pharisees and the religious leaders for the whole week, they um, have now, he's, he's just pronounced a curse on the temple, he says, every stone that you see will be, will be knocked down, not one stone upon another, then he left the temple area, and he, be, and his disciples asked him, when will this be? So you said the temple's going to be destroyed. When's it going to be and what will be the signs of its of that's happening? So he went on this whole thing about the you'll see wars and rumors of wars and false messiahs and earthquakes and the moon will turn dark and the stars will fall from the sky. That's what's called apocalyptic language. And you actually see it throughout the Old Testament. Whenever you see this language of the, earth, the moon's going to turn dark and the stars will fall and the sun will not give light and these apocalyptic-sounding things it's not talking about the end of the world, it's talking about the end of nations. So you actually see this frequently in the Old Testament about the destruction of Babylon, the destruction of um, the Assyrians, the destruction of Egypt. And it says, when Egypt is destroyed, the sun will not give its light for them and the stars will fall from the sky for them. Basically what it's saying is, the world as you know it will be flipped upside down. Now in this context, Jesus is talking about Israel herself. He's talking about Jerusalem, he's talking about the temple that it's going to be destroyed, which would have been, that's why the, the disciples want to hightail Jesus out of town because you don't talk about that kind of thing in public. You just don't do that. It'd be, it'd be like going to the World Trade Center Memorial and being like, oh yeah, I can see this thing just being blown up again. You'd be like, don't, what are you doing? Don't, you don't speak yeesh, like that. Yeesh. But that's kind of what he's doing. And they're like, holy cow, easy there. Let's go out of town. Let's have a talk about this. And so they're like, when is that going to happen? And he gives this whole discourse and he ends with this line, and he says, it's in verse 32, he says, um, but of that day or hour, no one knows, uh, neither the angels in heaven nor the sun. So he says of that day or that hour, nobody knows, not even the, the sun. Now, the question is, what is the hour that he's talking about. And that's what leads us in to saying, so, be, so because you don't know the hour, be watchful and alert because you don't know when the time will come. Like a man traveling abroad who leaves his place and his servants in charge. That's the parable we get here. Yes. So what's the hour that we don't know about? And this is where the big theological difficulty comes. Yes. Because what has he just been talking about? Destruction of the temple. Destruction of the temple. So maybe that's the hour. But in the Old Testament, it keeps talking. It, there, there is a reference to, <laughs> excuse me. If you see where this is all going, especially if you combine it with John's gospel, John always uses the term Jesus's hour as his crucifixion. It's the destruction of Jesus, right? Yeah. His passion. So is the hour the destruction of the temple or is it the destruction of Jesus? Or take it a step further. All these things he's been saying about the wars and rumors of wars and stars falling from the sky that also does point to the literal end of the world because this world will pass away someday. Yes. So here's the problem. Is Jesus talking about his crucifixion? The destruction of the temple, or the end of the world.
0: Yes, yes, yeah. That's absolutely. the key. That's the thing. Is that it's both end. We're Catholic. This is a principle, and yeah. so it's really, it's really, actually, very epic when you consider it. Like, uh, uh, yeah, because, well, and and there's a big reason for it. Is that the
1: temple is a microcosm. Right. What Mark wants to show you, what Jesus wants to show, you, and what Mark wants to bring out is that those three events although some are far away, some are very near, some are a little bit further away, they're all intensely interconnected. They yes. are very connected to one another. Yes. And okay, well, Jesus kidding, and Jesus and
0: Jesus is actually going to replace <clears throat> I mean, like it's it's right. It's a replacement to actually understand that Jesus is all in all, and that like right, w- which is a very big question of, of like what does it mean for the Lord to turn His face towards us? Yes, and
1: for us to turn towards Him. Yeah, yeah. Well, but you were making a good point earlier too. That uh, sorry, and I, cu- I kind of cut you off, but the, about the temple and its connection to the end of the world. Finish what you were saying because that's yeah. a really really important point.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, this is the thing: is that the temple is a microcosm, so. Its destruction signifies the destruction of the entire universe. Right. It is. It is. It's actually the placeholder. I mean, for. I mean, literally on the fact that the temple curtain has stars and sun and moon and everything in the temple was meant
1: to was meant to mimic a part of creation. The pools in the middle, and there were vines on the walls and and everything,
0: and and on all done stylistically. So, so it's this is this is this destruction is absolutely essential for us to
1: understand so where's the bigger so so uh, so okay you have this one level connection that the destruction of the temple which will happen because the temple was a mic so I mean uh, take it all the way back going to Genesis the creation take itself, it back. to Genesis so the creation itself <laughs> was a macro temple right uh, yeah. God dwelt in the garden. That's what the garden was. It was a macro temple. We lose the garden, right? Creation itself takes takes a dive. Everything gets broken. So they build the temple to mimic the garden. The temple is supposed to be the new garden. If the garden was the macro temple, the temple is now the micro garden. Mm. And that means, because why? Because God dwelt in it. That's where God's presence was, just like the garden. God's presence has now left the temple. Nobody ever saw it come back to the temple. That temple is going to be destroyed in the very same way that just like there was a macro temple in the garden, then that transitioned to a micro temple of, of the creation created world. Now, because the temple represents creation, creation's, whatever happens to the temple is going to happen to creation. So if the temple is going to be destroyed, what's going to happen to the space-time world? It's going to be destroyed. But there's a catch. Because that's not the end of the story for Catholics. So many of our Christian friends, sometimes Catholics too, we end the story there. Okay, the world's going to end, temple is destroyed, done. The end, we'll all float up to the clouds and be with Jesus, singing on our harps, right? But that's not what the story is. Because although the physical temple was destroyed, Jesus is also described as a temple, is he not? And in in Mark specifically, there's this this parallel story going on about the destruction of the temple building and the destruction of Jesus. And both of them are told in very similar ways. One temple is going to be destroyed. Another temple is going to be destroyed. Only one will come back. Jesus, although his body, which is the temple, the real temple, the real presence of God dwelling among us— Although it's destroyed, it is going to be resurrected and glorified and transformed and almost unrecognizable in its glory. But it's actually the same body. Mm. He, people stick it in their hands and uh, their uh, fingers in his hands and his side, right? Same body, transformed, glorified. But it had to go through a destruction to get there. So what does that say about the temple and the end of the world? What it says about the temple and the end of the world, and this is where true Christian hope lies, is that although we do know this world will pass away, but if we recognize that this this world is analogous to Jesus and his body because he is the temple and the world's analogous to the other temple, then although this world will pass away, it's only passing away for the sake of the new heavens and the new earth, which God will resurrect out of the ashes of this world. And that we will have a new creation, heaven and earth merged for all of eternity. Because we also believe just as Jesus took his body to the cross, died, and was resurrected, we too will all die, but we will have bodies again. That's analogous to what Jesus did. Paul says very clearly, if, G- if it happened to Jesus, it will happen to you as well. And I would take it <coughs> a step further and say, if it happened to Jesus, it will happen to us as well. And if it happens to us, it's going to happen to all of creation which is how you make sense of these visions of revelation and later Isaiah and the new heaven. Actually, ironically enough, it's in Isaiah, what, 63, I think, and 64, where it talks about, I saw a new heavens and a new earth coming down and being united and being resurrected and all these things. Which goes right back to that first reading, where we're talking about the darkness becoming the light.
0: Exactly. How? What does it actually look like for the hardness of sin to pass away? The hardness right. of this world to actually the the all of creation, all of our hearts and souls and minds and bodies yeah. to be made entirely supple to the workings of grace. Yeah. Like that is phenomenal. It's cool, dude. That well, well done. Does like, that make sense? Yeah. Okay. That was really clear. And it's it pretty was cool. Really, it was amazing. I'm, I like, I feel like I just got a little preview for your talk on December fourth.
1: Oh, a little bit, a little bit, l- a little, little bit. That's, pr- yeah, yeah, talking, that's I mean, like th- There's that's some it.
0: there's some core ideas in there. Oh yeah, but, like, I mean that's the heart of what I'm talking about. on The fourth. I'm really excited. I mean, like, I, I, truth be told, I can really understand how I would be bummed at not being in my body. Um, I mean, like, it's an unnatural state for us to not be with our bodies. And so yes. like, but yes. but the idea of the world is going to be utterly transformed. The entire universe yes. will be will be able to be navigated. I mean, like, in but like, it's also
1: not going to be something other than what it is now. Yes, Th- that's the thing to be remembered. Yes, it's just it, Jesus didn't have a different body. It was just a glorified one.
0: It was a glorified one. So so I mean, so for all of you who are <clears throat> trying to work out the math for space travel, <laughs> guess what? It's going to be it's going to happen in the, the resurrection of the universe. Okay.
1: Yeah, Annie and I always talk about the mountains that we probably won't get a chance to climb in this life, but we can do it in the new heavens and the new earth.
0: Yeah, dude, I'm going to be a really good carpenter in the
1: new <laughs> in the new earth, dude. They will neither saw nor cut with wood. No,
0: they said that you will make houses oh. and you will dwell in them. If In my house, there are many dwelling places. <laughs> no. and
1: I'm going to be an interior designer. Oh, Oh, that's good. <laughs> I was about to say. But sorry, we missed the most important part, though. Uh-oh. Because what is the... It's very, very simple. But what does... This, um, this reading that we get this week is a chiasm, or gospel reading. Oh. So what was the whole theme of what we've been talking about? Well, look at what it says. Jesus says to his disciples, be watchful. In other words, watch. The very last line, he says, when I come suddenly find you sleeping, what I say to you, I say to all... Watch. He begins the, with the word watch. He ends with the word watch. Which What's is the a, problem of Isaiah? We can't see you. Oh. What's Jesus' antidote? Look, oh. watch, with the eyes of faith, though. Dude, I
0: didn't see that. That's amazing. Because <laughs> you didn't watch. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah, and it's uh, watch. <clears throat> Therefore, you do not know the Lord of the house is coming. The word
1: is actually repeated like four times in this passage. Watch, Man. watch, watch, watch.
0: Dude, I, and I was just talking today how my watch broke.
1: So well, See, there you go. There you
0: go, man. I'm there gonna, it is. And, and thus we enter into Advent, my friends. Thus we enter into Advent. We, when watch we, it. We begin to watch. And Indeed. And we uh, anticipate the Lord to come. Hmm. Thank you for joining us today.
1: Thanks, you guys. We'll be back next week. Have a wonderful beginning of Advent. We'll see you next week. If you're watching, listening to this on
0: Thanksgiving, then give thanks for the lanky guys.
1: For we don't endure forever. Give thanks to the Lord for we don't endure forever <laughs> that's funny huh isn't that and, a good one and, and dude this is the thing biblical is humor
0: you guess what this is the beginning of the third season of lanky
1: guys wow you're right we started an advent this is the, two you, years ago
0: yeah and so this is the third season and um and uh we're looking for some sponsorship and we're gonna probably be sponsored in the next couple of weeks
1: i have not missed a week on the air in three years dude i'm never re- once you're my <clears> hero you're my hero
0: because I've missed, I've missed four couple, times, couple,
1: four times, four times. Watch, watch. Anyway, that's okay. I made up for it by playing foursquare at the four corners. You didn't though. That's a
0: lie. Well, I mean, I, I did it. You already told us. Oh, I know.
1: Okay. Anyway, this is ridiculous. Send us a picture of you guys playing foursquare at the four corners, Find or, us on Facebook, or just draw us a picture and put it on Facebook.
0: Or you can just play foursquare and send us a picture. That's true. And put it on Instagram. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: All right. We will see you next week, everybody. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado, www.thomascenter.org. You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. See you next week.